Well, good morning, y'all. So, how have we been doing identifying our issue? Have you come to grips with the idea that maybe, possibly, you have any issue at all? If you uh, missed last week, we are in a series uh, called Strong in the Broken Places, where we are going through the 12 steps, and we've seen that. The 12 steps are based on biblical principles, and God is at the heart of this whole 12-step thing. And if you were here last week, hopefully you've been ruminating a little bit on what potentially you have in your life that is an issue that you've been struggling with. That thing, as we named it, we called it our Goliath, that thing that is bigger than we are, that has caused our life to be off. Truth is, we've all got some junk in our lives that we need to deal with, and the question is, have you identified yours yet? If not, why don't we just review the possibilities? Shall we? Is it possible that you struggle with overworking, where you derive all of your sense of worth through your work? Is it possible that you are an overeater and you use food for coping and comfort? Is it possible that you could be, without even realizing it, addicted to things like alcohol, medications, marijuana, even though it's legalized, pornography, sexual promiscuity, overspending, or Gambling, and a new one we're going to introduce this week, social media. Hmm. Is it possible that you spend more time in the virtual world than the real one where you're not even present? Do you have other issues that have taken control over you? Like, are you an overly critical, negative person who's always thinking the worst? You go to the dark place, which eventually drags you into depression. Do you deal with things like anger, where you just go zero to 100 like that, and you rage? Do you have resentment issues towards somebody or a lot of somebodies? Do you suffer with fear or anxiety? Do you have a judgmentalism to your personality where you just judge people and primarily because you know you're right and it makes you feel better, right? Codependency where you are a boundaryless person who are constantly enabling, making everybody else happy, and you're being taken advantage of all the time? Is it possible you're a self-absorbed person, very narcissistic, where you believe that it really is all about you? Or the opposite, do you feel like a victim, where the world is against you, and so you kind of wallow in self-pity all the time? Are you an overly perfectionistic person where you have a need to control everything? Do you find yourself having difficulty with the truth? Do you find yourself over and over again in unhealthy relationships? And are you a jealous person who's envious where you're constantly comparing yourself to others, trying to keep up with the Joneses? Can you find your issue in this list? If not, you may have the worst issue of all. And that is what? Denial. Denial. That's right. Uh, What's kind of funny is, like after last week, 
I had a lot of people come up to me and go, is it possible that we could have more than one of those issues? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's very possible. <laughs> and so last week, we looked at the first two steps. Step one was to just admit that we have this issue and that we're powerless over our problems. Our lives have become unmanageable. And so step two, then, is that we've come to believe that God can restore sanity to our lives, which leads us to step three. And step three is our first action step, really, in trying to overcome the issue that we've identified. And that is that we're, we, we are making today a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the will of God. Now, here's where I hit the wall. I hit the wall pretty early on at step three. Because I'm okay, like, admitting my issue and that I am powerless over my issue and I do believe that God can help me get through it. But I don't get the practical application of how I actually turn my will over to God. I mean, what does that even look like? How do I turn control of my issues, my life, over to a God that I haven't even ever seen? And so today, today we're going to get down to the crux of the issue because today we begin the battle of the wills, which is a fight for the control of who will control ultimately my life. So there is this uh, idea in the Christian faith that has this idea of the unconditional surrender of our lives. Um, In the traditional church, it's called the Lordship of Jesus, that we make Jesus the Lord of our life. This is probably the toughest part of following Jesus, because if you are like me, there's nothing more difficult than submitting your will, laying aside what you want, to God's will, because we are truly a willful bunch. So here's what I believe. I believe that most of us, what we do is we compartmentalize our lives so that we have the appearance of turning our will over to God, but maybe not really. We have the work compartment over here. We have finances over here. We have our family here. We have our church here. We keep them all very separate. And what happens is when we decide to turn our lives over to Jesus We make a commitment to put our past behind us where we turn all of these compartments now over to God. We leave our old life and we move forward in a new life where he has now full control of how we move forward. And so as time moves on and we grow in our trust with God, we turn more and more compartments of our lives over to Jesus and let him take control of those areas. And what happens is, he does. He revol- when we truly do that, he revolutionizes those areas of our life and we experience this true life change that occurs. And the more positive change that we see, the more of our life that we continue to hand over to God until... We get down to this one thing. 
there is this one last compartment that we are holding on to so tightly. There's just one thing that we just can't seem to let go of and to turn over to God. That, my friends, is our Goliath. That's the issue we've been looking at identifying in our lives. That's the issue that holds us back from living the life that God designed us to live. And like we've been talking about, every single one of us has an issue. It's different for all of us, but we all got one. We all keep a little secret compartment of our lives locked away from the rest of the world that nobody knows about. And we don't want anybody else to know about it because the truth is, we may actually enjoy it. We may actually indulge in it. We may actually rely on it, even though we know it's toxic. And it creates a barrier between us and God. And the scary part about it for a lot of us is that we don't really want to let go. Like, we've gotten used to that thing being part of our lives, and we don't want to let go, at least not yet. And so we kick the can down the road another year and say, yeah, I'll, I'll deal with that another time. But as long as it's still there, and we don't do anything to try to get rid of that last compartment, to turn that over to God and completely remove it from our lives, it remains a threat. And it could ultimately destroy us. In our humanity there exists this tension between us wanting to follow Jesus. So we have one foot over here on the narrow dirt path that leads to Jesus. But we still don't want to give up some of the stuff that we enjoy in the world, and so we, we step over here. We have one foot planted in each world. The problem is that when you look down, we are straddling the abyss. And so the third step that we're talking about today is basically saying that we're going to pick that foot up out of the world side and plant both feet firmly on the narrow dirt path that leads to Jesus. And that we will do whatever it takes to make the radical changes in my life in order to turn my motivations, my thinking, and my actions over to God. Whatever motivates me to do what I do, whatever drives my thinking, whatever drives my actions, whatever it needs to be, whatever needs to happen in order for me to turn my life fully over to God, it's about handing that last compartment over, dealing with that last issue so that I can stop living for me and start living a life that's fully for God. Now, this morning I made a decision to be very open and vulnerable with y'all. And um, I kind of went back and forth as to whether I would talk about this or not, but we've made a decision here at Westridge that we would talk about tough things, and so I'm going to talk about a tough thing. Um, Back in August, Pastor Scott spoke on a passage that 
I happen to speak on every year, which is the parable of the wedding feast, and it's found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22. Now, to be fully transparent, I was at first a little ticked off that Pastor Scott had infringed on my territory, that this is a passage, like out of all the passages in the Bible, you can't pick something that I don't speak on every year. I mean, come on, really. But I decided to cut him some slack since he was the new kid on the block and all, but that's all right. But the problem was that when I finally settled down and I listened to what was said, I heard something that I've never heard before, and I have to tell you, my heart sank. Because while I have preached on that passage a hundred times over, I have never stopped long enough to really listen to allow for another perspective. And I'll just remind you of what that is really quickly. So the Gospel of Matthew 22 is a parable that is uh, describing for us what the kingdom of God looks like And it talks about who's in and who's out. All right? So keep that clear. So the parable goes like this. There was a king who was throwing a wedding feast for his son. I'm just going to cut to the chase because I'm just going to get down to it. So the father is basically God the father. He's throwing a party wedding feast for his son, which is Jesus. And the wedding feast is basically judgment day when the party of heaven begins. And all the who's who, it says, back to the parable, of the kingdom were invited. All royalty, rich people, everybody that you would expect to be invited over to the king's place, they were invited, but none of them wanted to come. And so the king said, all right, forget you then. Instead, he told his servants, I want you to go out, and now I want you to invite all the common folk to the wedding feast. Go out and get everybody from every facet of life. And he made it a point of saying, invite everybody, both good and bad. Invite them all. So now, the festival hall was filled with people. And the wedding feast was about to begin. And it was customary in that day that the king would provide wedding clothes for all the guests so that nobody stood out. Nobody felt less than, nobody felt more than, nobody was like upstaging the bride and groom. Everybody was wearing the same clothes that was provided by the king, except this one guy. There was this guy in Matthew 22, and it says this, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was there, and he was not wearing the wedding clothes. And he asked, How did you get in here without the wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. I find it interesting that the man was speechless. He had no defense for his actions. And then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and pain. And catch this, for many are invited, but only a few make it. Now, If you think about it, you go, okay, that's really no big deal. I've heard all of that before. And we all, right, we all point the finger and we judge that guy for not putting on the wedding clothes and disrespecting the king for not doing what the king asked him to do. And you go, I can't believe he went to the wedding feast of a king and he totally offended the king and he got what he deserved, right? But here's the problem. 
I realized in the middle of that story something very sobering, and that was this. I think I am that guy. I'm the guy who didn't put on the wedding clothes. I'm the guy that if I don't pull it together, I'm going to get thrown out of the party. Like, I am that guy. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because while the commonly held interpretation in the church is that the wedding clothes represent the grace of God, and that when we go to the party, we, we put on the grace of God, and because of that, we have, we're wearing his forgiveness, and because of that, we are cleansed of our sin, and we can stand before God perfect on Judgment Day because we have been forgiven, and so we can have eternal life because we're saved, and all of that is true. None of that changes what I'm saying. What I am saying is, let's look at this guy from a little bit different perspective. This guy was invited to the party, the kingdom of God. He accepts the invitation, symbolically accepting the invitation to be saved. Remember, a lot of people rejected the invitation, right, who didn't even show up. This guy accepted the invitation. He went to the party, so he accepted the invitation to be part of the kingdom of God. He probably went to church every Sunday. He believed in God. He loved being part of the party. But what didn't he do? He didn't put on the wedding clothes. Why? He thought he was too cool for the clothes. He thought his clothes were better. In other words, he wanted to come to the party, but he wanted to make his own rules about what he could or couldn't do at the party, at somebody else's party. I want to be real clear. He wanted to do faith on his own terms. He wanted to go to heaven the way that he wanted to go to heaven. He wanted to do things his way rather than fully submitting to the will of God. He fought God to maintain control and because he wanted to do his own thing, he was ultimately thrown out of the kingdom of God. I got to tell you, that guy looks a lot like this guy. And it was a real wake-up call for me. Because here's the truth. Like, I really want to be a great person of faith. Like, I want to follow Jesus. Like, that is in my heart. There's no question about that. But the truth is, I really want to do faith on my own terms. I really want to maintain control of my life and what I do and what I don't do. And so I give up areas of my life. I throw a lot of compartments out there over to God and turn them over to him. So all you guys are like, oh, yeah, he's a great Christian. Because, yeah, it's just the stuff you can see. But there's a lot of compartments that I hold my own. And I go like, I ain't giving that up. I ain't doing that. I'm not putting on the wedding clothes. Because I like mine better. 
I'm just keeping it real. And I think it's exactly why Jesus says, for many are invited because only a few make it because I think there's a whole lot of people like me out there. People that love Jesus but haven't fully submitted our wills over to God. We do and say all the right things. But in the end, are we still trying to do faith on our own terms? Are you that guy? We like the idea of being a Christian. We like going to church. We like being part of a community. We love the idea of going to heaven when we die, right? But where the rubber hits the road is, are we willing to live the life and make the sacrifices that are required of us to do that, to walk down the narrow dirt path that leads to Jesus? Because sometimes, a lot of the times, we make up our own little faith cocktail where it's one part Jesus and two parts me. And that mix don't work. We want to pick and choose the things about the Christian faith that we like and that we can easily agree with and not subscribe to the tough stuff of the Christian faith that we struggle with. The hard part of the Christian faith. And so where's that line? What is it that sets us apart as Christians? It can't be the just believe in God part, right? I mean, James chapter 2 says, so you believe in God, so what? Demons in hell believe there's a God and tremble. Okay. Just believing in God is not enough. Just going to church on Sunday morning is not enough. So I truly believe that the crux of the matter is Have I turned my will fully over to the will of God? Where our faith becomes more than just a Sunday morning thing. Or a quick prayer before dinner thing. It's building a faith that is strong and sustainable. A faith that is strong enough to carry us when life is hard and we're fighting against our Goliath, struggling to keep our head above water, but we're able to overcome because we have the power of God driving us now. And we're not trying to do it on our own anymore. So here's the good news. The good news is there's still time. There's still time to get it right. There's still time for all of us to turn it around. There's still time for me not to be the arrogant person who thinks that I know better than God or that my clothes are better than his. Turning our will over to God means that you make Jesus the one thing in your life that drives everything you do. It's an all-encompassing, life-changing, I-surrender-all kind of faith. A living, breathing faith that drives 
your purpose, your passion, your mission. And I have to warn you, it pushes us to the very edge of our limits where finally it will come down to that last thing, that Goliath that we hold on to so tightly when we finally give control of that thing up and say, here it is. I am all in. I am not holding anything back. Take my entire life and have at it. I got to tell you, it's scary to take that step. But that's what Jesus is asking us to do. And so the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to give up that last bit of turf that you've been holding back? Are you ready to unconditionally surrender that last compartment, turn it over once and for all? Because when that happens, we gladly put on those wedding clothes and we enjoy the party and we finally live the life that God designed us to live from the very beginning and for the rest of eternity.